So if you were here last week, we spoke about Abraham and we, our foundation scripture was in Hebrews chapter six, verse 13 to 15. And so we're gonna go there again, Hebrews chapter six, verse 13 to 15. And you'll remember the story of Abraham was that he was given a promise by God in Genesis chapter 12, as soon as he leaves the Ur of Chaldeans and he goes into this land, not knowing where he's going, God makes mention of a promise to him saying, you will, so your offspring will inherit the land that you are going to. And so at that stage, he didn't have any offspring. That's a bit old school term. In other words, he didn't have any children. He didn't have any grandchildren. Um, him and Sarah at this stage, uh, Abraham was 75 years old. Sarah was 65 years old. And up until that point, up until that age, I don't know what age they got married. Those days, they probably got married like super young. Um, it's like your parents got married when they were 21, right? Hectic. Um, and so I don't know how it's like, you go back in time, it gets earlier, I don't know. Anyway, never mind. Um, so up until the age of 65 or 75, they haven't been able to have children. And so God gives him this promise, says, Abraham, you will have children. And it doesn't happen the next week. It doesn't happen the next month. It doesn't happen in nine months. In fact, it happens in 25 years. And so from Genesis chapter 12 to Genesis chapter 21, where Isaac is born, there's a time span of 25 years. And so Hebrews chapter six, talking about this very promise that God gave to Isaac and to Sarah, saying, you will have a son by your wife, Sarah. And so he speaks about this promise. And so let's read in Hebrews chapter six, verse 13 to 15. And it says this, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham and Yazarchivus, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. I read again. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. I want us to go up to verse 12. And it says this, well, let's read, sorry, verse 11 and verse 12, the same chapter just to add emphasis to what we're saying. It says, and we desire to each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so this, these, these two verses give us a good definition, a good rounding of what patience looks like to the Father. And so you see it talks about an earnestness, in other words, it's not passive, it's, 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 it's seeking, it's pressing, it's, it's holding ground. And then again, there says, so that you may not be sluggish. And so waiting for the promise, Abraham didn't just sit in his tent for 25 years and wait for the promise to manifest. There were certain keys, as you remember from last week, certain things that God taught Abraham to do in order to walk out every single day, practical steps to walk out and to give him that patience, to give him the ability to wait patiently, to wait with steadfastness, not to be sluggish, but to be earnest. And so our other foundation scriptures in Romans chapter four. And so you'll go with me there, Romans chapter four, verse 18 to 21. And these are the very things that God taught Abraham to do that gave him the ability to wait. How many of us need an ability to wait for the promise? Because as we all know, it didn't come yesterday. It didn't come the day after. It takes its time. And so we all need faith and patience to inherit the promise. And so we can learn a lot from Abraham. So in Romans chapter four, verse 18 to 21, it points out these five factors that Abraham walked in and says this first one is in hope. He believed against hope. You'll remember from the New Living Translation, it says, when he had nothing to hope in, he kept hoping. That he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. Then the second point is he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. The next point, no unbelief made him waver, in other words, doubt, concerning the promise of God. And then fourth point, but he grew strong in faith as he gave glory to God. And then fifth point, being fully convinced that God was able to do 
what He had promised. And throughout this 25-year journey, God, and I just love it, this is God. You know, it's like when He, he gives you a promise, it's, it's a scripture, right? I forget where it is, but you might know. It says, in Jesus, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so we see that here with Abraham and we see the nature of the father. He doesn't just give a promise to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. You're gonna have a child that comes from your own womb. Figure it out for yourself. And then he like stands back and like, <laughs> he's trying to figure it out. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He says, this is the promise that I'm giving to you. Now walk with me. I love it in Genesis chapter 12. He says, walk the breadth of the land. He gives him this promise. He gives him the promise of a son. He gives him the promise of offspring. He gives him the promise of the inheritance of the land. And he says, now walk the land. And so Abraham begins to walk with God. He begins to learn his nature. He begins to learn his ways. And in that process, through relationship with the Father, the Father begins to show him, this is how you will get to the promise. The promise is there. It's for, the Bible says, for an appointed time, Habakkuk chapter two, verse two. It says, but if you walk with me, I will teach you how to get there. I will teach, I will give you the ability to wait for 25 years. And therein lies the key, the very foundation for all of us is that it's simply walking with God. I love it in, in Genesis again, it talks about this great man of faith, Noah. It says, and Noah walked with God. Enoch, and Enoch walked with God. And I want us to get that picture that God wants to walk with us. And as we do that, He will go and He will show us the way. But the promise, or <laughs> the promise, the problem is we like to run ahead of Him. And so we like, a, if you can imagine, you go to a, toy store, don't ever do this, <laughs> a toy store with your child. And so you walk in the store and you say, we're going to go get that Barbie over there. <laughs> Gone. You know, they're running ahead of you to the promise. But if you just walk with daddy, I'll show you where, it's not, you want that one down there, but there's actually a better one on the top shelf, but you can't see it. But you've got to walk with daddy. You've got to walk with the Father and He'll show you where the aisle is, where, how to pay for it because there's no concept of even paying. You know, it's like two rand can buy anything when you're a child. <laughs> the other day, Gabriel, someone gave her 10 rand. It's like, okay, let's go look what you can get for 10 rand. Oh, this Barbie, yeah, we go, Daddy, here's my money, 10 rand. I'm like, oh, shucks. <laughs> you know, and so it's, we got to, and we're the same. There's a little bug, that's why I was doing that. Um, he understands. He knows. And so I want to encourage you, as you wait for the promise, just walk with Him. Just walk with the Father. Because that's where your contentment's going to be. If you're running ahead and just your sole focus is the promise and you, you're reaching but not grabbing, reaching not grabbing, because it's not the appointed time, they, 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 it's not going to bring contentment like He can. And so when I walk and I wait and I'm patient and I'm obedient and I hold His hand, there's contentment in the waiting. And that's really, really important that we find peace in the waiting. We find joy in the waiting. We find wholeness in the waiting that I'm not consumed by this thing that my heart so desires that it even destroys me. But I'm content in Him. And so... Last week, we looked at verse 18 when we talked about hope and we said this, that Abraham in the natural, he had nothing to put his hope in. And so he put his hope in what God had spoken. He put his hope in, in the promise God had spoken over his life that you shall have a son. And that word hope means an earnest expectation. It's not a wish, it's not a desire. It's an earnest expectation that God, that, that which God has said he will bring to pass. And so this morning, we're gonna look at the next verse in verse 19. And it says this, he did not weaken in faith. And so as God was walking, Abraham was walking with God, first he taught him hope, hope in the promise, hope in me. Don't hope in the circumstances, hope in me. 
took the next step. Now, Abraham, you've covered that, you've done well. The next point, the next step is do not weaken in your faith. Faith very simply means divine persuasion. In other words, I'm fully persuaded, fully convinced that God is who He says He is and that He is able to do that which He says He will do. That's what faith at the very core of it is. If I, I can tell you right now, and you would agree with me, I have a blue sh- shirt on and I have black pants on. We are all fully convinced of this. We are all persuaded of this. We can see it and you've heard me say it. If someone had to walk in here and point and say, that man there has a pink shirt and white pants, all of us would be like, no. Look properly and he will argue and we will argue back and say, dude, you need to go to the optometrist and get a colorblind test because you don't know what you're talking about. We are fully persuaded that I am wearing a blue shirt and black pants. And so similarly with God, He wants us to be so persuaded that not that I'm wearing blue pants and a black shirt, but that which He said is reality, even when I yet don't get to see it. Jesus said this to the disciples when He revealed Himself to them. He said, you know, Thomas touched him and he says, he says, I believe. And he says, Thomas, blessed are you, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. And so faith is this amazing, what the Bible would call in Hebrews 11, it's this amazing substance, it's an amazing gift from God that just as you would look at me and say, he's got blue pants and a black shirt, or, yeah, blue pants, blah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the other guy said. <laughs> blue shirt and a black pants, you are so convinced in your heart, you are so convinced in your mind of the promise God has spoken over you. Maybe it's for healing, that by His stripes I am healed. And so that same guy can walk in and he says, guys, I had a revelation from God. Uh, Last night I was spending time with him. He said, the blood's finished and there's not enough for everybody anymore. So if you are sick, you will remain sick. You are so persuaded on the promise of God that you will stand up and you will start to say, hey dude, you don't know what you're talking about. You need to go to Pillars of Truth. <laughs> That's free advertising. <laughs> but we are so, con- he, can, he can come with all these theories and all these revelations and like from Genesis, he unpacks the scriptures and blah, 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 blah. And it's all nonsense. And you, you just stand there unmoved, unshaken. He says, I know what the Lord has spoken. I'm fully persuaded. I don't yet see it, but it's just as if I have. That's what divine persuasion is. That's what what faith is. And we know obviously in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So when God speaks to me, what happens in that moment is that faith is in birth in me. Every time He speaks, that word in Romans chapter 10, verse 17 is the rhema. It's the living word. Word of God. It's the living spoken. This book is alive. These promises are alive. And when He speaks them to me, they, they, they come to alive in me. And the Bible says it's this lovely, lovely word. It's called in-birth. He in-births faith in the heart of the believer that I'm fully persuaded that what He said will come to pass. And so, I want us to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, and we see an interesting dynamic between the relationship of faith and of hope. Remember, God is building with Abraham. He starts with his hope, and now he's introducing faith. Do not weaken in your faith. And at this meeting point of hope and faith, the Bible gives us and it expounds, how do these two things work together? How do I build on? I've established my hope. I've established my expectation on you. Father, how do I now build on this with faith? What is the relationship between my hope and my faith? And why should my faith not weaken? And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, famous scripture, we should all be able to quote it, says this. Now faith is the assurance, some words say substance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I read again, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
That, that, that phrase there, that faith is the assurance or faith is the substance, it talks about an underlying support. It's like an underpinning. And so if you can imagine it this way, in, in natural terms, every building has a foundation. And so before this structure is built, before your house was built, before your apartment was built, they dug into the ground and they laid foundations. There's, there's steel in there. There's all sorts of, well, steel and cement, I think that's about it. Steel and cement in there that, oh, there's, is it right? Shelton, thank you. Um, and so the, the, the house, the structure is firm because it's built on the foundation. And so this is what the hope, Hebrews 11 is telling us, that our hope is actually built on the foundation of faith. And so if my faith, what he said to Abraham, if my faith is weak, there's a high chance, a high percentage that I can lose hope, that I can lose expectation. But if my faith remains strong, remember, when God gave you the promise, right? Maybe you were reading your Bible. Maybe it was a Sunday. Maybe it was a Wednesday. Maybe it was a Friday. Someone spoke and, and he spoke the word to you and you knew it was God. You knew, Father, this is for me. When that promise came to you, when that word of the Lord came to you, He inbirthed faith in you. There's a rich deposit of faith that came to you as the believer in that moment, giving you the ability to believe for the promise. And so what He's saying here, and I was like, guard your faith. That's what He's saying to Abraham. Do not let your faith be weakened. Crazy that it can even do that. I'm gonna get into that a little bit more just now. But he says, do not let your faith be weakened. Why? Because faith is the bedrock. It's the foundation upon which I build my expectation for the promise. And so if my faith is low, my expectation is gonna be negative. But if my faith is strong, if I'm fully persuaded that that which God said will come to pass, that who He is, He says He is, that's it. If I'm fully convinced about that, this, I won't have a problem with hope. I won't have a problem with an expectation. Why? I'm fully persuaded. I'm divinely persuaded. I wrote this faith. It's just a bit more of an expounding definition. Faith is a supernatural guarantee in the heart of the believer that what was promised will come to pass. And again, my hope is then based on this. If we read on in Romans chapter four, verse 19, and I actually wanna read it in the New King James Version, surprisingly for me. Um, so if we can put that up there, who's on, Jonathan? Romans chapter four, verse 19. I love the way the New King James translates this passage of Scripture because it makes more sense in the context. So in my ESV, it says that, I read in the ESV, it says, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body. But I love the New King James, it says this, and not being weak in faith, it says he did not consider his own body, already dead, since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And so here we see a key to staying strong in faith. He did not consider. He did not consider the circumstance. That word consider, it's not like, it's not a, it's not a fleeting thought, but it's to, like, it's to sit down, it's to understand fully. It's a, it's a deep concentration. It's, it's a focus of the mind. And so what the Bible is not saying is that Abraham didn't, he wasn't aware <laughs> Abraham was aware of the circumstances. He did not deny them, but he chose not to focus on them. That's very important. I read again. Abraham was aware of the circumstances. What are the circumstances? His body as good as dead. Abraham Sarah with our child for 65 years. He was aware of the circumstances. He did not deny them, but he considered them not. In other words, he chose them, he chose that not to be his focus. And there comes our first challenge is that when circumstances are contrary, where will I put my consideration? 
Where will I put my focus? Where will I put my thoughts? Where will I put my attitudes? Where will I put my, my, the, my expressions? Where will my mind be when I hold these two things before me? The promise and the circumstance. And so what the Bible tells us is that both of these things were before Abraham. The circumstance, very, very real, every day in front of him. But yet he considered not and he chose to behold the promise. Every day. I'm sure he had some bad days, as we all do. He was human. He lied about his wife. He wasn't perfect. But he pressed on. Love that. He pressed. We press on towards the mark of the prize, of the upward call of God in Christ. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Where are your eyes? Where's where's the vision of your heart? Where are the eyes of your heart? Where are the eyes of your mind focused? When the challenge comes, when the circumstance comes, what will be your focus? What will you choose to be your focus? What will you allow to be your focus? See, the problem is that when we choose to consider circumstances that are contrary to the promise, we open the door for them to counter our faith. I'll read that again. The problem is that when we choose to consider circumstances that are contrary to the promise, we open the door for them to counter our faith. What do I mean by that? Let's go first to Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 to 22. Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 to 22. Everybody with me this morning? Good? Good stuff. God's teaching us. Just like he did Abraham. He's walking with the Lord. Walking with the Lord. He's giving instruction. So it says this, Matthew chapter 21, verse 18 to 22. Talking about faith. In the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And listen to this, and the fig tree withered at once. Last Sunday night we spoke about supernatural miracles. This is one of them. In a moment like this, a tree that has leaves, it's alive, it's not dead. I don't know how big the tree was. But he said, what do you say? No fruit ever come from you again. And instantaneously, the tree withered, dead in a moment. And, and then I'm not surprised by the next verse. When the disciples saw it, they marveled. In other words, wow, that's amazing. And they're saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, listen to this, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Faith is the most powerful force on the earth available to man. It trumps any tool, any invention, any ideology, any substance, anything that can be created or thought of by man, faith is more powerful. Faith trumps it. It's not even a, a ratio that I can give you. I can't even say 10,000 to one because it is no, it's just, it's the most powerful force. It enables the believer to do anything and to see God do anything. Remember the one scripture Jesus is speaking to, there's a young boy who's He's being convulsed and he's thrown into the fire by demons. And Jesus speaks to the Father. He says, if you believe, in other words, if you have faith, nothing will be impossible for you. And so by faith, and if you read Hebrew, on Hebrews chapter 11, by faith they stopped the mouths of lions. Talking about Daniel. By faith, Dead were raised back to life. Talking about Elijah raising a little boy back to life. By faith, we can overcome 
the natural circumstances of this world. The world will say to you, uh, you know, after three days, it's impossible for someone to be raised from the dead. There's, there's a certain, I forget the time frame. There's a certain time frame in which they can bring someone back to life. I think it's like one minute or two minutes. After that, it's impossible for the world. In all the modern science and all the greatest technology, you can type it on Google AI. How do I raise someone back to the dead after the three days? And they'll say, it is impossible. But by faith, it's not impossible. And Jesus, when He walked this earth, He demonstrated faith to us. He didn't, remember, remember, I think it's Philippians, He laid His deity aside. In other words, He walked, He operated like you and I. He humbled Himself to become like us, to show us how to do it. Otherwise, that statement which Jesus said, that the works that I do, greater works will you do, that would be an illegal statement. How can we do better than Him? How can we even do the same as Him if He's operating on a higher platform than we are? Jesus subjected Himself to our human nature to operate by faith. And by faith, He spoke to the tomb. Lazarus, come out. And a miracle happened. Fig tree, die. Storm, peace to you. He operated by faith and faith overrode everything. Eyes open. Ears here. Be cleansed. Leprosy gone. Statements of faith. Works of faith that overrode. Faith is the most powerful substance. Yet it can be challenged. Yet it can be weakened. That's why we need to guard it. And so we see an example of this. If you go back a little bit to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, verse 28 to 31. Here's Peter stepping out in faith, doing the absolute impossible. I don't know if any of you have ever walked on water yet. Gabriella, every time I put in the bath, look, Daddy, I'm walking on water. <laughs> I just got this thing, like even going to sleep at night, Daddy, I'm praying that Jesus will make me walk on water. Fascinated with it. This is Peter, right? Matthew chapter 14, verse 18 to 32. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. Supernatural. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. This is impossible. Try it when you get home. Try walk on your swimming pool. He walked on the water and came to Jesus. But listen to verse 30. His faith became, began to become weak. Why? When he saw the wind. When he considered the circumstance over the promise keeper, over the promise giver, the one who said, come. At the words of Jesus, faith was in birth inside of Peter. And he began to, to walk out supernaturally on the water to defy all logic, to defy all nature. But it says he began to look around him. He began to consider the circumstances. He began to contemplate, what am I actually doing? This is actually really bad. These waves are actually really big. And if one hits me, I'm gonna drown and Jesus is not gonna find me. And so as he begins to think about these things, what happens? He drops. His faith became weak. Circumstances challenged his faith and he gave in to the circumstance. You know, Jesus, merciful and gracious, reached out his head, picks him up. But he brings an awareness of what is going on here in verse 31. It says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And so the reality is that our, our faith is under attack daily from the kingdom of this world. You go to the doctors, no offense to doctors, but very rarely are they gonna tell you something good. 
And so you're standing, sorry, <laughs> you're standing on a promise. You're believing the promise. You've got faith for the promise. You've got hope and an expectation that God is going to do this. And you have to go to the doctor because you've got to get these prescription of meds. And so he tells you, uh, actually, your blood pressure has gone worse. It's going to challenge me. Will I choose to grow weak in faith? Will I choose to listen, but obey? Will I consider, will I I now direct my focus off of the promise onto this problem? I went to the doctor, the scriptures are running through my mind. I'm speaking on it, I'm meditating on it. Now I come back and all that's in my mind is like, oh, my blood pressure is like this, my blood pressure is like this, my blood pressure is low, I've got to take my medicine. I've got to be very careful now because I can get a heart attack and I might go to die. And so my whole focus has shifted. And that's what Jesus is saying. Do not consider. In other words, we're not denying it. We're just not meditating on it. We're not allowing it to steal our affections. We're not allowing it to steal our attentions. The next problem is that when we choose to consider the circumstance over the promise is that we give nature or rather we give room to anxiety. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 to 34, the very first thing Jesus is talking about, He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. In the King James, it's it's a very good translation again. It says, therefore I tell you, do not give thought. And then it says on, about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Love this. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, again, how many times? It's probably like the fourth time. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Verse 34, therefore, again, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Interesting that word anxious, it means to go to pieces, to be pulled apart. And that's exactly what anxiety feels like. It's this uncertain, I'm, I'm walking on the water and now all of a sudden I'm just like, I don't I I can't find my feet. I don't know what's going on. My mind's just like freaking out. I'm being pulled in every direction. That's what anxiety is. And so what Jesus is saying here is like, when you consider, it's like he's saying, don't consider. Don't, don't think about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink. What's he saying? What is your mind focused on? Is your mind focused on considering the kingdom of God? Or is your mind focused on what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? Where am I going to live? Who am I going to marry? Where, where, how am I going to get a car? How am I going to get a house? When I allow these things, these circumstances to consume me, Jesus said it five times here. You open the door to anxiety. Keep your mind focused where it's supposed to be focused. Yes, those are real facts, but don't, let, don't entertain them. Let, don't, and that's what it, we do this. It just like runs. The same thing just runs through our mind over and over and over. It's like Jesus is even saying, it's like, why do you do that? Is that gonna add an hour to your life if you sit down and worry? 
Does it help you in the end? Do you feel better after worrying? Do you feel better after being, oh, let me just sit and be anxious for a while. Do you walk away from that? Oh, I feel really good, Lord. Thank you for that anxious session. No, you feel even worse. It's just a complete waste of time. So why do we entertain it? Just choose not to. It's actually very simple. Choose not to entertain the circumstances. Whatever it is, whether it is provision or, or, or sickness or loneliness, whatever it is, choose not to entertain. I want us to go to Genesis. I'm going to read Genesis chapter 13 and Genesis chapter 15. And the reason is this, that God didn't just tell Abraham not to think about the circumstances, but he gave Abraham something to think about. And so we've focused a lot on don't consider the circumstances. Don't consider the circumstances. Lord, Lord, what must I consider if I'm not supposed to consider the circumstances? And how am I supposed to consider this thing that you're offering up to me this morning? And so we see very practically from Genesis chapter 13 and Genesis chapter 15, and I just love this about the Father, it's like the gospel is not complicated. He, he doesn't make it hard. It's not some university like trigonometry equation, like only 2% of the population can figure it out. You know, it's very gospel. It's very gospel. It's very simple. The gospel is for every man. It's not just for the educated. It's for the simple man who's never had the opportunity to go to school. He can understand the ways of the Lord. And so... Genesis chapter 13, we're going to read verse 14 to 17. And it says this, The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. So remember, at this point, Abraham didn't have a child yet. This is only like one chapter after he's actually just entered the land of Canaan. Isaac was nowhere near the radar on this, this point. And then verse 16, he reminds Abraham again. He says, I will make your offspring, and listen to this, as the dust of the earth, so that if, that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Then what I was referring to earlier, arise, walk through the land and the breadth of the land. Where was Abraham? In the desert. How much dust did he see every day? Countless. See it again in Genesis chapter 15, verse one to five. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Fear not, Abraham, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Then God, speaking the promise again, your very own son shall be your heir. And listen to this. And he brought him outside and said, Look. That word there is the same word again. It's consider. Look, consider the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Day and night, the promise was before him. As he walked the desert in the day, he was reminded everywhere he looked, this is, this is God. It's like, who else would think of something like this? It's so clever. You know, every, everywhere he looked, he reminded himself of the promise. It was before his eyes. In the nighttime, just imagine, there's Abraham, Sarah's gone to sleep and he can't sleep. So he goes and he sits outside of his tent to spend time with the Lord and he looks up at the promise. No light to hide the stars. Imagine how many stars. And if you've ever been to like a rural location, there's not many lights. You just see so many more stars than you do in the city. Imagine him in the middle of the desert, all these constellations, all of the heavens and all the beauty as he would just sit and consider. Hallelujah. He would sit and he would contemplate. 
He would think and he, he would be, a, and it's such a beautiful thing, day and night, you know, he would go to sleep with his mind focused on what the Lord had said. He would wake up and the very first thing he would see as he steps out of his tent, brings him into focus for what the Lord had said. And every time he hears God speak, every time he's reminded, his faith is, is, is going stronger. His faith is growing stronger and his, his expectancy, his hope is maintained because the promise is before him. And so God is very, 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 very practical. And so even for us, how, how, what are our stars? What is our sand? And so there's a couple of scriptures that we're gonna go through. And the first one is this. So these are practical applications to do what Abraham did. Practical applications to not consider the circumstance, but to consider the promise. And the first one is found in Habakkuk chapter two, verse two to three. Habakkuk chapter two, verse two to three. Can't find Habakkuk. I don't blame you. It's quite hard. <laughs> Yesterday I was like, Lord, where's Habakkuk? I was like, searching. Anyway, so it's pretty close to the end, basically. Malachi, Zechariah, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, this way. All right. Habakkuk chapter 2, first two practical applications. How do I consider the promise? And how do I not consider the circumstances? And so there's a principle that we can draw forth from here. and says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets. So he who runs may read it. Listen to verse three, talking about waiting patiently. For the still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. But verse one, write it down. If God gives you a promise, don't lose it. Like, don't just let it be that moment. Write it down somewhere. If you, when you read your Bible, I encourage you, read with a highlighter, read with a pen. Lord, this is the promise that you gave me. Highlight it. Put a date there. Put it on your cloud. Put it on a piece of paper. Put it in your Bible. Write it down so that you can see it, otherwise you may forget it. Second one, Proverbs chapter four, verse 20 to 21. Again, a principle that we can draw forth. Now that we've written it down, right? My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my saying. Listen to verse one. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. And so now you've written your promise down, put it somewhere you can see it. Abraham, he could see it all the time. It was somewhere he could see. He could see the stars by night. He could see the sand by day. Where are your promises that God gave you 10 years ago? Like, what do they call these questions where they don't want to answer? It's a rhetorical question. <laughs> so don't answer me, but ask yourself, where are the promises that he gave me? Are they written down where I can see them? Put it on your fridge. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your Bible. People, your own, own family members will think you're weird, but it's fine. They won't think you're weird when you get your promise. And they'll actually ask you, how did God do this? I was going to say stick it on your windscreen, but don't do that. <laughs> Look at the road, please. Where's Ryan? Ryan Minietti um, shared with us in, in community at the end of last year. The word for the year last year, the increase of God's goodness. It was, his, it was his home page on his cell phone. Every time he unlocked his phone, there it is. Increase of God's goodness. It was before him, day and night, and he said... <laughs> Where's Ryan? I hope he doesn't mind me showing this. But he had it from the very moment it was shared. He had it for 364 days. One day he just kind of like, because it wasn't what he thought would happen. But then he repented and he put it back on his phone. He took it off. 
But for 364 days, he kept the promise before him where he could see it and ask him of his testimony. The very end of the year, December, he saw it. He waited 365 days, but he saw it. That's their, that's their testimony, but this is real. Joshua chapter one, verse eight, another principle of considering the promise. Joshua chapter one, verse eight, and these are scriptures we know very well. And it says this, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but it says this, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. That word meditate, we know it means to ponder. Um, Eastern meditation will tell you empty your mind. Biblical meditation actually means to fill your mind. In other words, I'm constantly thinking on the promise. I'm constantly thinking on what God has said. But in addition to that, to meditate actually means to matter to yourself. And that's why he's saying to, to, to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it. And so you actually, you go through your day and you speak the promise. You speak it to yourself. And you remind yourself, you, if that's what meditation is, I'm, I'm muttering, I'm muttering by stripes on your, yes, so here's your CV, thank you very much, by the stripes of Jesus. That's a really good thing, you know. And so I'm doing that throughout, that I'm keeping it before me, keeping it before my eyes. And, and, it, and I'm keeping it, it's kind of like recycling, right? So it's in me, I speak it out and it comes back into my ears and it comes back in again and I speak it out and it comes back into my ears and it comes in again, you know, and I just keep doing that and it's just the whole day, just recycling the promise, you know, and it never loses its efficacy. It's just... It's always, and every time I do that, it becomes stronger and I become more convinced and I become more persuaded in what, this, what, what the Lord is saying to me, contrary to my circumstances. Even, you know, like in, in, in contrary to that, is you can do the same with your circumstance. And this is where we need to watch ourselves, what's coming out of our mouths. The doctor gave me this report and now I'm muttering this to myself. Blood pressure, so oh, shucks. Eh? You don't want to tell anybody, yeah, no, it was good, it was well. Go to sleep, oh man, what am I going to do? I don't want to take more medicine. My blood pressure, oh. you're muttering to ourselves. Just watch, watch your muttering. <laughs> Such a weird word, muttering. Um, but just watch what's coming out of your mouth. What are you saying to yourself? And in a in the world, like if people see someone speaking to themselves, they're thinking they're crazy. But here, God actually encourages us to speak to ourselves. But speak what He says. Speak the promise to yourself. And the last practical implication is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 23. Remember, we're talking about considering not the circumstance, but considering the promise. So in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 23, Jesus speaking, he says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, if my eye is looking at healthy things, things that are wholesome for salvation, things that are good, when my eye is on healthy things, my body is filled with light. But here you're saying if your eye is bad, in other words, if my eyes are on things which are not wholesome, which are not gospel, which are not Jesus, but which are contrary to what He speaks to me, which are contrary to the promise that He speaks to me. If my eye is on those things, if I'm beholding those things, if I'm, remember, look at the stars, Abraham. If I'm looking with my eyes at things that I should not be looking at, what does it say? My body, my soul is filled with darkness. What is that darkness? 
doubt, unbelief, questioning. I begin to doubt because I'm looking in the wrong place. And so it comes back to the stars. It comes back to the sand. What are we considering? Because our eyes and our ears are the gates to our soul. And so you might think it's entertainment. Oh, let me just watch this series and we like to watch these medical things, you know, like ER. This guy's dying. You know, it's like entertainment to us. But is it? I'm not saying don't, you know, this is like a personal thing that you've got to walk out with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, what, where does my eye need to be looking and where does it not need to be looking? Because it can be entertainment, but it's actually bringing doubt. Because I'm busy trusting God for a miracle in my health, and now I'm just watching every person that gets sick dies. (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't save him, doctor. The repercussions of the archery was just like, you know. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm asking God for a miracle in my heart. But it's just entertainment, Lord. It's like, how, how serious do you want this? Like, how, how, how much do you want the fullness of salvation? How much of Jesus do you want? I love it when often Joshua does an altar call. He says, there's terms and conditions. We never told you that you have to give your life. We just told you that Jesus loves you. You know, give your life to him. Make it to heaven. You're like, But then Jesus says, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so we think we're losing life, but we don't know real life. Until you sacrifice and you pick up his life, you're like, wow, this is actually the real thing. And so what is a series? What is a conversation that I should not be participating in? What is a news article that I know I shouldn't be reading? I'm not saying we blase to what's going on in the world. We know the facts, but are those facts, are those circumstances drawing the affection of my heart, my focus? Is it causing me to consider, to behold, to perceive? That word consider again means to think from up to down. In other words, I'm, I'm really giving my all in this. What are you considering? And so for us to get this right, we have to have a disciplined thought life. It's a massive part of this. Yes, Abraham had the stars, he had the sand, but he also had the circumstances. And so he had these two things. I love it. It's like almost a comparison would be in Galatians. says the, the, the flesh and the spirit. You know, they are at war against one another. They are contrary to one another. The flesh desires one thing, but the spirit desires another. And so it is with the promise and the circumstances. They are contrary to each other. And so Abraham would, would, would consider the promises, he would consider the sand, consider the stars, but the circumstance still had a voice. Sure. It would still scream at him, you old man, are you crazy? How the heck do you even think this is possible? And so he had to fight that off. He had to fight those voices. He had to fight off those thoughts. He had to fight off those imaginations. Now I want to read a scripture to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Because you are not a victim to your thoughts. You are not a victim to your imaginations. You have authority in God to choose not to dwell on negative thoughts. You have authority in God, and I'll show you from scripture, you have authority in God to choose not to dwell on the circumstances. You can make a choice like this and shift your focus. 
So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse four to six, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but listen, to, have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of our listeners and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. I love this verse seven. Look at what is before your eyes. When you were born again, you were given authority. Authority over darkness, but authority over yourself too. Bible says when we were, when we were unsaved, our, our bodies, our physical body was a slave to sin. We were a slave, Ephesians chapter two, we were a slave to the prince of the power of the air. It would dictate to me, telling me what to do. Even though I didn't want to do it, I did it anyway. And uh, uh, these thoughts and these emotions, you know, like, oh, shucks, you're a teenager, it's so stupid. Like your girlfriend breaks up with you. What do you do? You go home and you put on sad music. You know, and like, oh, you just like feel more sad and more sad. You, know? you give yourself over. You, you give yourself over to sorrow. And you know, God forbid some people even commit suicide. How many times did you break up with your girlfriend? Text you, I'm gonna commit suicide if I don't see you today. Oh, you guys never had that. <laughs> I thought that was a normal thing. <laughs> You know, I don't think they were being serious, but for some people, that's where it goes. Why? Because they give in. They become a slave to this oppression of loneliness and of, and of questioning. But when I'm, when I'm born again, when I'm redeemed, you know, these things are left behind. They are no longer my slave, but I am master over them. I am not a slave to my body. My body says, I want you to do this. I say, no, shut up. I don't want to do that. He's like, okay, sorry. Just like that. The same with my mind. I don't have to have these thoughts of like, oh, and this is gonna go wrong and this is gonna go bad. Just tell your thoughts to be quiet. Speak to them. Be quiet in Jesus. I don't want to say shut up again. But you have authority in Christ. Colossians chapter three, verse one, it says, set your mind on things above. Think on those things where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So thinking on things above is a choice. In every moment when doubt and unbelief come, you have the power of choice to dwell on those things or not. And that's the reality. It's kind of like going to gym, what we're talking about. When you first go to gym and you lift that weight, you know, or you do that cardio thing, whatever, <laughs> training regiment, the next day or even like straight after, you're like finished, you know, your arms are sore, your muscles are sore everywhere, you're like how am I gonna ever do this? But as you do it more and more, your body becomes conditioned. And so in the beginning, I could hardly lift 50 kgs, now I can do like 20 reps of 50 kgs and I have to move on to a greater weight. Why? Because I've conditioned my body. And so it's the same when, we, when we're talking about resisting thoughts and, and casting down vain imaginations. When you first start doing it, it's gonna be a bit of a challenge because the circumstances, are, it doesn't change the circumstance. Not yet, but it will. But the circumstance is still there. But I choose to think differently. And then I go home and your, your, your brother reminds you of the circumstance. And you go to work and your, your colleague reminds you of the circumstance. And you read the newspaper and it reminds you of the circumstance. And so there's this challenge coming against me and I've got to constantly fight against this thought. I've got to constantly fight against this vain image. I've got to, I've got to use my faith. I've got to use the, this God-given gusto inside of me to push back. And at first it's difficult, but the more I do it, the more I become conditioned to resisting. And whereas before I had to cast down my thoughts and tell them to be quiet five times a day, now I only do it once a week because I've overcome. 
because I've become stronger. Because instead of becoming weak in faith, I've chosen to become strong in faith. And so as we end, I'll just read from my notes. Every, every one of us, God has in birth a rich deposit of faith, as we said. He didn't just give you a promise. He gave you faith to believe for the promise. I read again, He didn't just give you the promise. He gave you faith to believe for the promise. Now God, that faith. That Timothy would write, or Paul would write to Timothy, he said, God, the deposit which God has entrusted to you. Timothy, my son, God, the deposit. Each one of us here, whether you've walked with the Lord for 50 years or 50 days, there's a deposit of faith. Bible says clearly, to each one has been given the measure of faith. Not one of us sitting here this morning do not have faith. That's absolutely impossible unless you are born again. Unless you are not born again, sorry. If you have made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, there is a deposit of faith in you to believe Him for the impossible, to believe Him for the promise, to believe Him for the more of Jesus. And His instruction to us this morning, do not let your faith grow weak. No one can do it for you. This can't be spoon-fed to you. This is something you have to do by yourself. You have to guard your faith. Guard the deposit entrusted to you and grow stronger and stronger because as you do this, the ability to wait patiently will be yours. When we hesitate, Lord, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, uh, when we do that, we make the wait very difficult and we actually prolong it. So guys, just guard the faith. Let's pray, Father. We thank you for your ways, first of all, that you are good. We thank you that, as you said, in Christ Jesus, you've given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And even when it comes to faith, for the promise, Lord, we, we recognize that this is a gift from you. And that you, you, you're so practical, God. You're so real. And that you've given us the, the understanding, the ability, the know-how to walk this out. And so we, we petition the Spirit of Christ. We petition your Holy Spirit, Father, to remind us. That's what you said in John chapter 16. The Spirit will remind us of the words that Jesus spoke. And Jesus, as you, as you spoke to our hearts this morning, we thank you for the Holy Spirit to remind us, Lord, that when those circumstances come, when those challenges come, we will remember what the Word says. We will remember what you say, Father. That when those thoughts and those imaginations come and they, they start bombing my mind, Father, I will remember Holy Spirit, you will bring us to remembrance of everything that you have spoken through your word, Lord. And that as we do this, Father, we, we begin to reign in life through the one Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I speak over your people, Father. I speak victory, the victory of the cross, spiritually, socially, mentally, physically, and financially. In Jesus' name, Father, your people who, some who are sitting here this morning, Father, who are being tormented by thoughts, Lord God, tormented by other voices, and it just, just keeps, it's like a washing machine just going on and on and on and on. Father, we command those voices, voices of torment, voices of unbelief, voices of doubt. We bind you in Jesus' name, and we say, be silent now. Thank you, Father, for the authority in everyone sitting here this morning, the authority to stand against those things. And I declare triumph, I declare victory. I say no anxiety in this house, no depression, 
in this house. Lord, we refuse it, Father. We contend, Father. We contend for wellness in the realm of mental health. Father, we contend as a church. We say, as it is in heaven, let it be in the minds of your people, Father. Thank you, Lord. Your word says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so we thank you for minds that are at peace. Minds that are set on Jesus. Minds that are set on the promise, considering the promise, considering the promise keeper and not the circumstances which are anti. And so Father, we bless you again. We, we declare victory. We declare triumph over your people now. And we love you, Lord, as we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.